they want to know from a, a student uh, not everything about their lives, but what are those signposts that are, are critical? And I think the same is true in business. I think the secret sauce, the part of being an inspiring leader and communicator is coming from confidence that you can only generate yourself, that's for sure. But the other part is loving who you're speaking to and what you're speaking about. Welcome to Think Deeply, Speak Simply. Brought to you by Presentium. A show about the art and science of communicating ideas and how everyday leaders unlock their careers with great communication. And now, here's your host, Jay Rook. Most of us can recall a time when we heard a truly inspirational speaker, someone who planted an idea in our head that emboldened us to chase a dream or solve a challenging problem. Do inspirational speakers have innate abilities of influence, or are we all capable of motivating our teams with words alone? Today, we are joined by Jeff Salingo, a New York Times bestselling author, higher education strategist on university innovation and leadership, and an award-winning columnist. He spent his career in higher education, a field that relies on inspiration. Jeff is followed by Eva McClellan, a leader in the biopharmaceutical industry, who is head of business and strategy, transformation, and innovation for the Belgium Luxembourg team at Roche. With that, let's hear from our guest. Let's welcome Jeff Salingo to the show. Jeff, thanks so much for being here today. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. We're really excited for it. Can you tell us a bit about yourself and how higher education became a passion of yours? Yeah, so I was born and raised in, in Northeastern Pennsylvania. And I'll be honest with you, when I was uh, going to college myself, you know, only about half of my high school went to college. My mother didn't go to college. My father was a high school teacher. I didn't have as much experience about higher ed myself as I do now at the age of 18. And it's kind of funny when I was looking at colleges, if a catalog came in the mail, because this is back in the day when they used to send catalogs, and it didn't have journalism as a major, I tossed it aside thinking you had a major in journalism to, to be a journalist. So anyway, I went to the college in upstate New York. Uh, my claim to fame is that my college roommate was David Muir, the anchor of ABC World News now. He was so talented that I decided television wasn't for me. So I went into what back then was known as print journalism. This is the age before the internet. And eventually became a reporter in uh, Wilmington, North Carolina. Uh, went on to Washington, D.C., where I worked for the Chronicle of Higher Education for 16 years in a variety of roles. And that's where the passion for higher education really started. I thought I would be at the Chronicle for a couple of years, ended up staying there for 16, including being top editor for four years. And, and just seeing kind of inside what is really an industry, much like retail is, much like uh, healthcare is, higher education is just as much of an industry. And kind of seeing inside that and wanting to explain that to other people is really how I gained my passion for covering this. Fascinating story. You've been an observer and a thought leader in higher education for over two decades. What's the biggest change you've witnessed during this time? For the last two decades, I think the biggest change is the moving on from the idea that college is for 18-year-olds, largely out of high school, and that now, the most traditional students in higher ed are older students, are adult students, part-time students pursuing bachelor's degrees, uh, returning adults pursuing bachelor's degrees, whether online or in person, the growth of master's degrees, again, from adults of all ages. So I think that this idea that college is something that people go to at the age of 18, live on campus for four years, still a big part of higher education, but clearly not the majority anymore. I think that's the biggest change over the last 20 years. How fascinating. Obviously, you know, COVID-19 has been a major disruptor for nearly all business sectors, but particularly for colleges and universities. 
How has this challenge changed the way in which faculty and staff communicate with students? Well, I think the biggest change is that they had a quickly pivot to remote education and remote education meant Zoom education or some sort of online education. And what this has done, I think, is really accelerate the idea of how we teach students. Before the pandemic, most colleges taught students in a very traditional way. And I think coming out of the pandemic, we're not necessarily going to see more online classes only, but I think we're going to see more of a hybrid where professors, for example, tape their lectures and put them online in advance and then use the time in class. This idea of flipping the classroom where they use time in class to discuss what they showed on that online video. So I think we're going to start to see a different ways of teaching and learning coming out of the pandemic than we did going into it. Love that. Thank you. Communication is a core component of the university system with professors relaying teachings to their students who then go on to impact society overall. How can instructors best inspire the next generation during this formative period? I think that really becoming mentors for their students, you know, long after students leave college, they're going to remember what they learned in Econ 101, but they're going to remember who taught it. They're going to remember their classmates in it. And we know that from research that Gallup has done, for example, that the biggest impact faculty can actually have on students is is helping them pursue their dreams, helping them understand kind of the opportunities that are available to them after graduation. The more that we connect students and faculty members and the more students, and I tell students this, the advice I give when they go off to college is don't treat college as a spectator sport. Go off to college, get to know a faculty member. In fact, we know success in college is highly equated to getting to know a faculty member, particularly in that first semester. Go visit them in their office hours, whether you have an issue or not. Get to know them. Talk to them about what you want to do with this major. Maybe you don't have any idea what you want to do. And that's okay, too. But faculty are there to help students. They have deep experience themselves in both the academic world and in some cases outside the academic world. Really utilize that while you have the chance. You got me thinking back to very impactful uh, professors during my time. That resonates a lot. Thank you. Today's podcast theme is inspirational communication. When you're working with a younger populace, inspiring words can be particularly important. How do you leverage communication to inspire others in your work? So I really try to use my communication methods, whether it's through my newsletter next, whether it's through my website or my podcast, Future You, or Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, is to really try to explain what is a fairly complicated world in an easy-to-understand way. I mean, most of my time over the last couple of years has been in the world of admissions, where I wrote a book called uh, Who Gets In and Why, a year, where I spent a year inside embedded in the admissions office. And when you're sitting in that admissions office and you're hearing all these terms that most people don't understand, or you're seeing how they're actually admitting students, my job, I believe, is to translate, is to be that translator, that explainer-in-chief to people who want to understand the world of higher education. And so that's how I feel like I use my method of communication is to try to be as simple as possible, to pretend I'm talking to people who don't really know anything about college, to I'm talking to that 18-year-old me, right, who didn't understand that you don't have to major in journalism to become a journalist, right? So I want to be explaining to that person. Excellent. You're the founder and editor-in-chief of Academic Intelligence, a cooperative platform for thought leaders and futurists researching what's next for higher education and the workforce. On LinkedIn, you mentioned a proven recipe for storytelling within that publication. Can you break that formula down for us? Yeah. So what I do is I work with institutions, I work with companies that do work in higher ed. And really, my job is to help them 
not only tell, mostly not tell their story, but to tell the story of higher education to a wider audience, whether that's around the future of work, the future of skills, the future of online education, whatever that might be. I work with Fortune 500 companies as well as institutions who have really underwritten my research over the years as I try to explain this to a wider audience. And so that's really what academic intelligence is. I brought on other people who are doing similar storytelling that I am in in higher ed, whether that's, again, around international education, around admissions, around financial aid, whatever it might be. But our goal, again, is to, as I said earlier, is to try to explain, you know, this is one of the biggest purchases that people are going to make in life, but we only make it once for the most part. And we only come to it once. You may be in K through 12 education. You may be thinking about school for obviously 12, 13 years, but in higher education, you don't start to think about college until you're getting ready for it. And by then, in some cases, it's too late. And so my job is to, to really be that glue in between and to explain. Thank you for that. You were recently on CNN discussing your book, College Admissions, Who Gets In and Why? And it strikes me that a college application is not radically different than a business presentation. It's drawing on data and creating a storyline to convince someone else to approve of your viewpoint. What are some takeaways from your book that can be applied to business presentations? It's really about storytelling. You know, Most admissions officers have to eight, 10, 12 minutes to try to figure out if somebody is qualified for admission because they're reviewing so many applications in such a short amount of time. And what they're looking for is the, that story arc, very similar to a business presentation. We're storytellers as humans. We love to listen to stories. And they want to know from a, a student, uh, not everything about their lives, but what are those signposts that are, are critical? And I think the same is true in business. As you think about those signposts that are important, to determining whether you're trying to convince somebody to follow a strategy or whether you're trying to convince somebody to invest in a business. It's about those signposts. Excellent. Jeff, this is a question we ask of all of our guests on the show. Do you think great business communication is more of an art or science and why? I think it's more of a, uh, well, I think it's a little bit of art and science, to be honest with you. I mean, there is a science to writing and to persuasive writing in particular, but a lot of it is art and, and using phrases that are familiar to people, telling them stories in ways that they'll understand. So much business communication is business speak that I read. You know, it uses data and words just that you know, people think, well, this is what they want to hear, but not really helping people understand what they're trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. Jeff, what advice would you have for aspiring business leaders who want to improve their communication? Simplicity is really my goal. I think that we try to complicate things. Every time I read a business communication, I think of, we could have said that in you know half the amount of words. Or again, get rid of the business speak. Just tell us simply what you're trying to tell us. Use fewer big words, a lot less jargon. People don't understand that often, or sometimes business terms that don't understand. Again, what you're trying to do is speak to, in some ways, a kind of a fifth, sixth grade audience in terms of helping them understand what you're trying to say. And Jeff, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are going to want to consume more of your content and follow you. What are some ways that they can find you online? Uh, the best way is to go to my website, jeffsalingo.com, where you can get access to my newsletters and subscribe there. You can follow me on social media and see some content on that website as well. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on behalf of myself and all of our listeners, I want to say thank you so much for coming on the show today and for the thoughtful answers to the questions. We really appreciate it. Great. It was great to be with you. Thank you very much. Excellent. Before we move on to our next guest, let's hear from our amazing sponsor, Presentium. 
Do you spend way too much time creating presentations at work? Do you hate the hassle of creating polished presentations for work? If so, I've got an opportunity for you to reclaim your time, reduce your stress, and make your ideas shine. Think Deeply, Speak Simply is brought to you by Presentium. Presentium makes overnight presentations for enterprise customers at a fraction of the cost of design firms and agencies. They have made over 1 million slides and are trusted by thousands of enterprise customers. It is super easy to use. Just email Presentium a rough draft of your slides by 5.30 p.m. and you'll receive a beautifully crafted presentation in your inbox by 9.30 the next morning. Put Zen in your presentations, reclaim your time, and let your ideas shine. To learn more, visit Presentium.com. That's P-R-E-Z-E-N-T-I-U-M.com. And now back to the show. And with that, let's welcome Eva McClellan to the show. Eva, thank you so much for joining us today. Great to be here with you, Jay. I'm excited about this conversation. You and I both. Eva, you currently uh, lead as head of business strategy, transformation, and innovation for the Belgium and Luxembourg team at Roche. Can you tell us a bit of your backstory and what you focus on in this role? I've always been a curious and kind of an explorer personality. And so that led me to studying science. And then obviously that led me to moving into the world of business and the world of healthcare and the world of biotechnology, which is how I landed up here being offered the role as head of business strategy, transformation and innovation. And principally what I focus on is I lead a a team of smart, creative, uh, capable people, and we're focusing on transforming the strategy, the structure, the process so that we can deliver better care in the country we serve. So that includes the core business, the digital team, and the personalized healthcare divisions. And together as a team, we serve over 13,000 patients in both countries, which is really meaningful and uh, rewarding work. I'm sure. You've spent over 15 years working in biotechnology at many different roles and levels. How does this experience support your vision of commercializing innovative science? The three things I love and I'm lucky to have found in a role that allows me to forward that vision is people, is science, and is business, and in that order. And so one of the things that really gets me excited and up in the morning is finding new, innovative, creative ways with the team to make things better in the world of healthcare. And one of the things that I especially focus on and I'm passionate about is transforming healthcare to a more personalized one where we can reduce the amount of waste in the system and improve outcomes for, you know, ourselves, our families, our societies. You know, the theme of today's podcast is inspirational communication. Can you talk about how inspirational communication influences your work as a global leader? Sure. And it is a great segue. So I'll let you in on a, a little secret about inspiration. Though when I first stood in front of several hundred people and in, in one of my first global roles, when I you know, I told you I came to Switzerland about 10 years ago for my first global role, I was nervous as heck. You know, I mean, it's just like, gosh, it just felt bigger than life and it was the first global role I had had experience in. But the feedback from the people was that I exuded confidence and warmth and authority. And so that kind of puzzled me, you know, like, whoa, how did that happen? And so, you know, throughout the years, I think the secret sauce, part of being inspiring leader and communicators, coming from confidence that you can only generate yourself, that's for sure. But the other part is loving who you're speaking to 
and what you're speaking about and being really enthusiastic about that topic. And so, so that's, you know, that's what I would share you. And in addition to being a business leader, I'm a science enthusiast. And, and the other thing about me is I'm a teacher at heart. So I love to share knowledge and I love to help people with what I'm about to share. So as you speak to people, if you don't inspire yourself or if you yourself are not moved by the information, they won't be either. So my top tip or, you know, this kind of the tip department we have to craft messages for ourselves that are authentic and inspire us and try to find careers. And I'm fortunate to have chosen healthcare and roles that, you know, really inspire and move you. And so I know we don't always have choice to do that, but if you are in a role that doesn't excite you, that doesn't inspire you, you will be really challenged to inspire people around you. So my top tip is, you know, move out of that role as quickly as you can and find one that does, if that's a possibility for you. And then inspiration just flows as a communicator and as a leader. I love that. And I think that's the first time on the podcast that someone has advised to love one's audience. And so I, I think that's a great suggestion. Thank you. Where do you personally draw your own inspiration from? Oh, well, lots of places. First of all, I, I draw it from, I'm fortunate, like many of us, my parents are inspiring. My father has been a pioneer in the field of master carpentry, uh, not science, but master carpentry in his vision, his explorer personality, just watching him, listening to his stories is an inspiration and always has been. So having people around me who are inspiring inspires me. English was not my first language, believe it or not. I learned it at the age of six. And when you don't speak a language and you're in second grade, you realize how important language is as a relational tool and how it bonds people and how it helps you create a sense of belonging. And so I was always fascinated with communication as a tool for relating and belonging. So back to then my vision, one of the things that's important to me is advancing healthcare and the role I can play in changing people's lives and helping them get better or not get sick in the first place. So what inspires me is that. And then I try to use communication as a, as a relational tool to onboard others to forward that mission. So it's a bit of people, it's a bit of the mission, and it's a bit of language itself as a tool to relate and belong. I love that. And out of curiosity, may I ask what the first language was? It was Polish. I was actually originated from Europe, moved to Canada when I was six, and then back in Europe years after that. And I've been here for 10 years. So it's a little bit first full circle. Ava, how do you uh, inspire the teams that you lead? And how do you know when it's time to be inspirational versus, say, simply just relaying information? That question I love, and it makes me smile because there is no time not to be inspirational. I mean, even when you're reading numbers off a spreadsheet, right, that for many people would induce yawning and nodding off. I have a finance director and a peer who makes numbers fun and inspirational. So you're always moving people with information and great leaders find ways to do that. One of the things that we have to recognize, and this is again a bit in the tips department, which I learned over, over the years reflecting on this, when speaking to people in this format, Jay, like with you or any other format, is that if we really want to communicate with people in a way that is inspiring to them and causes insight or action, we have to recognize that there is another conversation that's going on at the same time that we're speaking to them. 
And that is their own internal conversation. And it's commenting while we're speaking. So some of you listening may say, well, I don't have that voice. And that's the exact voice that is commenting. So there's always these two conversations, one the speaker and then the voice in the speaker's head. So in other words, if we're going to be heard above that speaker, we have to say something to them that either moves them or inspires them or is useful to them. Mm-hmm. Thank you. In an article that you wrote on LinkedIn, you mentioned how healthcare companies are racing to reimagine how to deliver value in a post-COVID world. How do you think this opportunity for innovation will play out? This is a juicy one. It really is. We mm-hmm. could we could write an article about this day together, I'm sure. Right. Well, it's first of all, it's playing out just before our eyes, right? People are working in unprecedented conditions at home, on kitchen tables, in really tough conditions, in hospitals as well. And they're still producing great results and being creative and managing this pandemic, uh, whether in the hospital or at home. So I think technology is a really amazing enabler. We have people getting medical help over Zoom. COVID, what COVID has done, I think, is unveiled the soft underbelly of the of the fact that healthcare is broken. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have facts. We, we know that 30% of healthcare costs are wastage. And so a couple of trends I think will be important to leverage in the post-pandemic world as an opportunity related to healthcare. One, back to problem, identifying the problem. Every country is at least clear that we have a problem. And it's not an individual of clarity. It's almost a collective global clarity that the government and politicians are behind. So that I think is an opportunity, clarity of the problem we need to solve. We've also learned that we have technology and tools that can help us deliver better care, virtual care, and better quality access to remote areas, to areas that could not be delivered before. I think that's a really good thing. So one of the things that healthcare will have to get better at over time, and I hope to contribute to that, is formulating all those problems we want to solve in priority areas, and then putting focus and attention to solving them. Thank you so much for sharing that message of love. I really appreciate that. This is a question that we ask of all of our guests on the show. Do you think great business communication is more of an art or science and why? It certainly is an art in one sense that some people are brilliant communicators. I mean, if you go back to history, some people are, you know, were brilliant communicators that didn't know much about the science of communication. Mm -hmm. But I think it's both because uh, we now know so much as we just spoke about, about body language and brain chemistry and how that changes with communication. So, so I think it's both. Love it. And what advice would you have for aspiring business leaders who want to improve their communication? practice. You know, note the times where you intended to communicate something and it just didn't work out and use those opportunities as opportunities to practice. You know, some of the tips I have first, also, I think you need to make a commitment that yes, I want to be an inspiring communicator. I want to be moving and powerful and and move people because if that's not in place, if you don't have that personal commitment, all the tools and the techniques in the world that I, I don't think will work. So if that is in place, then practice your craft. One thing I do and I encourage people to do is find one or two inspiring communicators of they find inspiring from time to time, check in and create a little bit of a learning gap between your current performance as you kind of reflect and you know where they are, just to give yourself a bit of a journey of where you want to go. 
Love it. Ava, on behalf of myself and all of our listeners, I just want to say how much I enjoyed today's conversation. And thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your insights. Likewise. Thanks so much. We can have all the business sense and public speaker training in the world, but if we don't have inspiration within us to drive us towards our goals, they won't come to fruition. That's why speakers who can instill inspiration in their listeners are the leaders and influencers of our society. In today's episode, Jeff lifts the curtain on the complicated world of college admissions. In his work, communication is crucial as he attempts to simplify and explain a topic that many may not understand, the enterprise of higher education. And for those who serve as faculty in this business, Jeff says instilling inspiration is the single most helpful thing they can do for students. Eva drives home an interesting point about speaking with confidence while instilling information. It's not enough to just be knowledgeable on a subject in which you're presenting. You have to have a love for it, as well as a love for your audience in order to really make an impact. Both speakers agreed that great communication engages storytelling and following a narrative and that helping people better understand a subject matter is a phenomenal way to help them lead better lives. On behalf of our amazing sponsor, Presentium, and executive producer, Rajat Mishra, thank you for listening to this episode of Think Deeply, Speak Simply. I'm your host, Jay Rook, and if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast, and we'd love it if you would rate and review the show. Until next time, think deeply and speak simply. Thank you for listening to another episode of Think Deeply, Speak Simply. To learn more about the art and science of communicating ideas, visit our thought leadership library at presentium.com.